Father, we continue to cry out and sing to you, Lord, and what a beautiful opportunity we have this morning to tell you we love you, Lord. We, we probably forget, and maybe even sometimes we don't, and we're sorry for that. Lord, I am a wretched and sinful man, and I need your help, Lord. I need your change. I need your healing. I need your grace. I need your power. I need your love. I need your truth. I need your mercy. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So we pray that we would be kind to one another this morning, that we would encourage each other and you would encourage our hearts. Thank you for this time, God. Help us to treasure it and even more so to treasure you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're just joining us online, we're glad you've tuned in. Um, We are at Midland Free, working through our new mission and vision. We have felt for a while it's time to um, revamp it and revisit it, and we had an opportunity last year. We began to work it through the process of uh, seeking the Lord's will and the Holy Spirit through the community and focus groups and forums and prayer and research and study and diverging and converging, and we came to a really good point. We're about to roll it out, and then COVID struck, and so we shut down and uh, did what we believe was best and now we have come back and we are rolling it out and excited about the future here at Midland Free. And so let me just remind you what we've said the last few weeks. We've talked about our vision as a church. This is aspirational. This is future. This is where we hope to go but will always be ahead of us and it is this. We at Midland Free aspire to be a gospel-centered family where everyone we encountered moves closer to Jesus every single day. We at Midland Free want to be gospel-centered. We talked about how important that was from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as of first importance. Like, that's why we're a church. If there's no gospel, there's no point. There's no resurrection. There's no reality. There's no Jesus. It doesn't matter. But because of the good news of Christ triumph and victory over sin and death and the grave and hell and pain and sadness and all that bad stuff, then there's hope. And then there's a reason to come together and be a family and worship. And that's what we are. We're a family. We're not just like a random group of people with similar interests and socioeconomic backgrounds. We could care less. In the church, we are here because of Jesus. And as a result, we become his body, his bride, his group, his peeps, his whatever you want to call it. We are the family of God. And therefore, as a family, our goal is to go more and more like dad. We want to look like him in every way. If he had facial features, we'd go after that too. But our ultimate conformity should like, look like the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are becoming or growing closer to more and more like Jesus every day. And so that's our vision, that's our future hope, our aspirational goal, where we're headed. Now mission takes it a step lower and it begins to look at how do we do that, how do we implement that, what does that look like? And the first part of our mission is what we're going to talk about today, that we enjoy and glorify God. We purposely chose those terms, they're historical terms, they're biblical terms, they're rich with theology and church history. We'll unpack a little bit of that today, but let's start in a much simpler way. Let's start with a nice, fun icebreaker called fill in the blank. 
Yeah, I know. I thought of that myself. Thank you very much. Creative and original one that I am. Here we are. We're going to try it. There's no wrong answers. Shout through your mask if you're wearing one or just speak up if you're not. Um, It's very simple. I think as human beings, we kind of know what we enjoy. And so rather than me tell you all my likes, I'd like to hear some of yours. So I'll say I enjoy and you say blah, whatever it is. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. I enjoy coffee, music, your dog. Did anybody say cats? It's okay. We love you, sister. (laughs) Oh boy, go for some more. Come on. We got more than coffee, cats, and your kids. You enjoy your kids. Okay. Good for you. (laughs) All right, what else? Food. Amen. What time is it, anyways? It feels like lunchtime. What else? Bacon, of course. You can't go wrong by answering bacon. What? Working. Woodworking, not working. Woodworking. <laughs> There's working and woodworking. I got you. Woodworking. Very good. That means you're like smart and attentive to detail, which eh, woodworking would not be me. All right, next. Skiing. What else? Ooh, I missed it. I'm sorry. Ice cream, of course. Everybody loves ice cream. Most people. Somebody said money. Okay. We'll talk on that next week. There's a sermon coming. Oh, he's honest. He's a kiddo, right? We all need a little help sometimes. Right on. There's a lot of things we could keep going, and it's fun to talk about what we enjoy. Because when it comes to what we enjoy, (laughs) we're kind of the experts. We get it. We know what we're talking about. We enjoy what we enjoy, particular to ourselves and sometimes common to others as well. We enjoy these things. For example, a nice, soft, comfy, warm chair, a warm fire, my favorite hoodie or whatever else. We enjoy good things. Now that in and of itself, let me tell you right away, it's not a sin. That's a good thing. God created the world. He gave you this stuff. It's for your benefit, you should enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with that. But where we're moving today is beyond the temporal, beyond the physical, beyond the material, and into the eternal. Those pleasures which last and truly satisfy forevermore. You see, I know what it means to enjoy those good things. I know how to enjoy ice cream. I know how to enjoy money. I don't really get cats, but I'll take your word for it. I know how to enjoy some of those things. It makes sense to me. But what does it mean to enjoy God? It's a little more tricky. I can't turn on the TV and see him. I can't turn on the radio necessarily and listen to him. I can't touch him. I can't smell him. So what does it mean for me to enjoy God? I think part of it's the problem with our understanding of that term for us as materialistic modern Americans who listen to the radio and believe the lies of the commercial and everything else. We think enjoyment means, ah, happy, 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 happy. 
And indeed, to a certain extent, it does. But here's the thing. The psalmist today is actually going to show us how we can get true joy even when we're not happy. That this enjoying of God is not just smile more, but is instead to delight in, to value, or treasure Him above all else. We say that again. Enjoying God means treasuring Him above all else. That's huge. That's gargantuan because you can do that even when you don't feel happy. I think a better way to think of it maybe is this. We think of enjoying God like you know, enjoyment like physical or material, but there's another kind of enjoyment that we're familiar with that isn't physical or material and that is sentimental. If you're old enough, you probably have things in your life that you feel value about, that, that you feel like these things bring meaning, that they bring joy, that they are special. They may not have any inherent worth in and of themselves, but they remind you of something or someone that you love. And because of that, that thing then takes on additional value, not because you can sell it or make money off of it, but because it stirs within you this deep desire for something you care incredibly about. That's what we're talking about with God. I understand that God in and of himself has value, so it's not the same. The analogy breaks down. But the point is this. There is an emotional attachment to this thing called God. Because we love him, because we treasure him, therefore we delight in him and value him above all else. The Westminster Catechism says it like this in its opening statement. It's the first question, the most important thing you need to know right out of the gate. What is the purpose of humanity? What is the chief and highest end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him fully forever. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Today we're talking about the subject of enjoying God. And I want to show you how that works from two different Psalms. Psalm 73 and get this, Psalm 37. 73, 37, 37, 73. Back and forth. Here we go. Start in 73. Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. We're going to start at the end. We're going to jump ahead, but then we'll work back through it here in just a second. 73rd Psalm, beginning in the 25th verse. This will be on the lower portions of our screen if you're following along at home. Psalm 73, beginning verse 25. Psalmist says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing else on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near my God. I have made the Lord my God my refuge, that I may tell of your good works. Father, again, we thank you for your word. It's so good to talk to you and be with you this morning. Thank you for listening to us. As we open it this morning, we pray that you would impact our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. 
So Pastor Jeremy, you just said, the goal is to enjoy God. And you read this psalm, and you said it's not like enjoying stuff. It's more like a sentimental thing. So I want to do that. Like, that sounds good. It makes sense. But how? It's still kind of hard. It's not exactly a manual on that, or is there? Well, here's how it works. Today, what we're going to see through this psalm, and in fact, what each and every one of us sees in our lives, is this process. And whether you realize it or not, you are at one of these points. You're in this. I'm in this. We're in this. Everybody is going through this process and is at one point or another. And in fact, we get to repeat this thing over and over again. It just works that way. That's the way God has designed life. And that's the way he works in order to conform us to the image of his son. So what is that process, Pastor? Here's the process that we're going through each and every moment of the day. In order to value God more. This is how he helps us. The first point is called orientation. Orientation. If you're taking notes, feel free to write this down. It comes from the word biblical commentary. It's the structure of the psalm. But it's also the structure of our lives. Orientation. The first point is orientation. The second one is disorientation. Disorientation. And the third one is the new orientation or the new normal. Orientation, disorientation, new orientation. Orientation, disorientation, new orientation. Here's how it works. Orientation, I think you get that. It's not like necessarily the first day of school or something like that. That's probably a little bit more disoriented. But orientation is your standard operating procedures. It's the day-to-day. It's the mundane. It's what you get. It's what you understand. It's your routine. It sort of happens. Like if I get in my car in the morning, I pretty much go to Midland Free, even if I should be going somewhere else. I just end up here without even thinking about it. It's like down the road, turn right, turn left. There we are. That's my orientation. That's normal. But As you know from any amount of time in life with general experience, the normal is not normal. In fact, more often than not, that normal is thrown out of kelter, out of whack for one reason or another. If you're an elementary student, you understand this. For example, what you get used to is elementary school. You're going along, it's working, it makes sense. Eventually you get to fifth grade or a little further and all of a sudden it's time to go to junior high. Whoa. Hang on, you're not the big kid on the block anymore. All of a sudden, the school got a lot bigger, and there's a bunch of new people, and you don't know everybody. What do we do? Disorientation. Or maybe you're a high school student, and you're getting ready to go off to college. If you're a senior, you're feeling pretty big. You've got this thing. But now, you leave home, leave mom and dad somewhere else. Got to figure it out. Disorientation. Maybe you're an adult and you're cruising along just fine and all of a sudden you go to your annual checkup and the doctor says, um, you need to come back in for some more tests. Oh, hang on, doc, more tests? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I don't say anything yet, more tests. You sit there and you wander and you wait. And then perhaps you hear the diagnosis of cancer or this or that and all of a sudden when you're just cruising along, Everything changes. Disorientation, it happens. Divorce, death, job job loss, illness. And let us not forget, of course, COVID-19. 
It is the flood in Midland when all of a sudden you're sleeping in your bed and alarms go off and somebody is rapping on your door and says, get out now or you're going to die. One family I talked with after the flood said, we left with nothing more than the shirts on our back, the faith in our heart and our family in our car. We had nothing. Didn't see that coming. Normal was the water behind the wall. And then, boom, everything bursts forth and it all changes. See, we have this orientation and then disorientation. And no doubt many of us are living in that state of disorientation right now. It could be so many things that have thrown us off balance. It's easy at that point to sort of go over the edge. Especially when you start asking questions like, why? I mean, good things happen to bad people, but, or sorry, bad things happen to good people, but not us, right? What happens when the God who can doesn't? I mean, if he's good, and he could, shouldn't he? Disorientation. We're not the only ones who's experienced it. The psalmist has too. He was struggling with the prosperity of the wicked in this Psalm 73 that we just read from. If you go back to the start in verse 1, you'll see his orientation, his normal. Verse 1, his understanding as an Old Testament law-abiding citizen is that when I do well, the Lord blesses me. When I sin, the Lord punishes me. Therefore, if I'm doing well, I should be blessed, and people who aren't should be punished. That makes sense. But what does he actually see? Verse 1, orientation. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's the way it's supposed to work. But, verse 2, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What? Prosperity? For they have no pains until death. My body hurts all the time, but their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease and increasing in riches. That's all a wash. Then it's a sham. Why should we waste our time? Perhaps God really doesn't care. All in vain. I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. If the wicked prosper, what's the point? Have you ever felt that way? No, I have. What's going on here? God is for us. Jesus wins. All things work together for good. Huh? What's happening is this. The Lord wants us to value and treasure him. Because he loves us and cares about us more than anything else, he wants our best. 
But inevitably, what we care about so often is not the best. What we go for is what we want, and so often it's fleshly and temporal, and it's just a thing, and it won't last, and the Lord knows that's not best. And so God, in His grace, helps us to love Him more by walking us through this process. And what he does, as soon as we start taking his gifts for granted and forgetting about him, when we begin to love the gift more than the giver, he takes away the gift. It's like crutches. It's a false prop. You know, it's something we lean on. Like, I had a bad day. I'm just going to make this up. So I need a beer. Or I had a bad day, so I think I'll go shopping. Or I had a bad day, so I'll do this. Or I'm feeling bored, so I'll get a little extra entertainment in my life. I need to spice things up a little bit. So this is what I'm going to do. And we lean on these things to sort of help us get through. And I'm not saying that necessarily any of God's gifts are bad, but what I am saying is you'll know when you begin to lean on one too hard because all of a sudden he'll take it away. And then you'll be like, oh, what What just happened? That's the Lord in his grace kicking out the props. And when he removes them, you go through the process and you're like, hey, that was my crop. Well, don't you want to walk? Yeah. But I, I like, put it down and follow me. See, so many times in our lives, I think we go about solving problems like we're like, oh, this isn't working, so I need to do this, or this isn't working, so I need to add this, or I need to bring more in, or do more, or this, or that. And God is saying, no, less. I want to take that away. I want to take that out. And so that when you come to the right point in Everything has been taken away. Then you will say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, 25, Who have I in heaven but you? There is nothing else on earth that I desire beside you. Yeah, my heart and my flesh fail. I went to the doctor. He tells me that all the time. And I don't need him to tell me that. My insurance company does, but I don't. But God... You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, he's moving us through this process of orientation, disorientation, and then new orientation. And when you begin to process that, you realize, okay, he took away the prop. Now either I'm going to curse God and die, or... I'm going to turn my heart and my head back on him and not depend on that. That's gone. And now it's just him. Here's our new orientation in verse 26. The psalmist says this. When all the other stuff is stripped away, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen? Now, there's a word in there that initially may not mean a lot to us. It's called portion. And perhaps if you're like me, you think of it and you're like, oh, I like portions, you know, big portions. Like, I'll take the bigger piece of pie or whatever else. But what this actually stirs in that audience is the idea of their inheritance. You see, when God came to Abraham, he said, you know, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you and all the world through you is going to be blessed Good thing for us. But then he goes on to say, and I'm going to give you the 
land. And this is your inheritance, and this is your promise, and you can look forward to this for your children and their children and their children. And you watch this promise develop throughout the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Moses, Joshua, Canaan, and the promised land. And when they get to Canaan and the promised land, what happens is all the tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, are split up and they get different parts of this little strip along the coast of the Mediterranean called the promised land. See, promise to Abraham, promised land, right? So if it were me, maybe I'm thinking, hey, I want a day by the sea. Give me that, you know, coastal plain. That sounds really good. But maybe you're not sort of a seafaring sort of folk, and maybe you like the hill country, or maybe you'd rather be in the north near the Sea of Galilee because there's great fish in there, and you can sit out there and fish all day long. Who said fishing earlier? Amen? Amen. All right. You can be on the Sea of Galilee, or maybe you just like to take it easy in a nice, warm bath. You can go south to the Dead Sea and float around in that highly salty water all day long. But when you hear the word portion, you're thinking, which part of that land is mine? That's my inheritance. I'm looking forward to that. I got a good spot right there down by the Jordan River. And that was the case for everyone in Israel except the Levites, the priest. Why? Because God was to be their portion. He was to be their inheritance. And then we move to the New Testament. And Jesus completes the Levitical or law system. And he says that he brings people from every tribe, tongue, and nation together and building a kingdom for himself, a kingdom of priests. And so just like those priests, we too have an inheritance. But ours is not a little coastal strip of land along the Mediterranean Sea. Instead, ours is even better. Ours is God himself. God is our portion. What do we have to look forward to? The greatest thing ever. Um, Piper calls him the surpassingly valuable reality in the universe. C.S. Lewis says, why would you sit around on the banks making mud pies when you could have something so much better? God is the thing that we must treasure above all else. We at Midland Free have set out to do that, and that's why our mission statement says we, we enjoy and glorify God. We recognize that our hearts are ceaseless idol factories that are always creating things that we want more than Him, and that's wrong, and we're going to stop that and do better. We're going to do different. We are going to chase Him above anything else. What is the chief end of humanity? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What does that mean for our church? 
Does it mean we just come and smile and be fake and always happy on Sunday morning? No, we can be real and we can go through our seasons of life together. But when we come on Sunday morning, we're praying and we're hoping that this isn't a one-time, individual, isolated incident. That it's not like worship happens on Sunday and the rest of the week, whatever. No, if your purpose is worship and God's glory, then worship happens 24-7. When you go bed at night, you praise Him for your pillow. When you get up in the morning... You praise him for coffee. When you go down the road, you thank him for a vehicle. Anything you do, you are praising God. And so you come together at the very end of a long, hard work week or whatever else, and you say, Lord, I have been worshiping you each and every moment of every day, and I'm so excited to get together with my brothers and sisters on Christ on Sunday morning and do it in one spot. This is not our singular season of worship. This is the culmination of, of all of our worship. If you come in here on Sunday and you haven't been worshiping throughout the week, it may be kind of a dry and dead experience. You won't get it. Look around and be like, why are these people so happy? What are they doing? This is it. This is not when it's just me worshiping, but all of us together, and it's so much better. Our chief end, our highest goal, is to enjoy and treasure God. And do that throughout the week and do it when we come together. Glorifying God is the main reason we exist. We are not about programs and activities and facilities. And COVID, boy, it shows us that, right? We step back for a moment and say, Lord, thank you. Thanks for shutting us down and reminding us what truly is essential. We're not saying people aren't essential. We're saying worship is essential. And the Lord is showing us that over and over again when everything is stripped away. We're used to doing church a certain way. We're used to our activities. We're used to our routine. We like that. And all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. Ah, what do we do? We enjoy and glorify God. Fret not. Don't freak out. It's not the end of the world. This week, there's going to be an election. Maybe your person will win. Maybe they won't. All right. Who cares? Whatever. It is a big deal. I understand the issues are huge. Get it. We're putting out a prayer guide that you can see, and it's not a political prayer guide. It's like day by day. Pray for COVID. Pray for government. Pray for mission vision. But the point is, no matter what, Jesus wins. God is good. God's in control. And so when we go through this process, when we are, have a normal day-to-day, and all of a sudden things are way upset, we need to not like throw a fit and get upset and focus on that. But instead, we need to put it down. Say, Lord, all right. What are you doing? Because we're on board. Orientation, disorientation, New orientation. How do we enjoy God? We treasure him. We value him above everything else. And when we're not, you'll know. Because he'll help you with that. Psalm 37. Struggling through this evildoers, that prosper thing, the psalmist says this. In verse 1, the 37th Psalm. It says, fret not. Don't freak out. It's okay. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. 
Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you new desires, a new orientation, true desires, not the old one, but the new desires of your Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still. Be still, church. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Again, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will be there. The rich, the powerful, the arrogant, the dominant, the one who wins. No. The meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant shalom. Father, we love you and we treasure you. We enjoy you. We pray that we would. Lord, I confess, first to confess, so many things jump into my mind when I hear the word enjoy. I can think of a lot of fun stuff. My TV tells me about a lot of fun stuff. Lord, help me to remember what is best. And Lord, I pray that you do it mercifully and gently and graciously because I hate it when stuff's taken away. But I know that every time a prop is removed, you're there. And it reminds me once again, over and over again to say, Lord, whom in heaven do I have but for you? We praise you and thank you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.